And there is a little thing in the bottom that's like, register this copy of Windows. And I'm like, no, thank you. <laughs> uh, no, thank you. I also, and I don't know if this is, if because I didn't play console games before this, but now that I'm living with somebody, mm-hmm. I, I'm like, I don't feel right taking up the TV. Oh, taking up the computer is much less intrusive. Because the computer is my computer. And she's got her computer. Ah. The TV is a shared experience. Right. And so, like, if I want to play Overwatch on the Xbox, I'm now removing her access to the TV. Right. And mm. I don't want to do that either. Right. And, you know, she'll sit on the couch and watch TV while I play video games. We're also on the couch while she's working and watch TV. But, like, typically we're watching TV on the couch together. It is a shared experience mm-hmm. and a shared space in a way that my computer is not. Hmm. Do you play video games together? No. Amy is not a gamer. No. No. Which is fine. Like, I'm not I'm not one of those people that's like, you have to share all of your hobbies with your significant <laughs> other. Because that's weird. Yeah. Kind of creepy. Yeah. That, yeah, because people don't need to be the same as you. <laughs> no. Uh, I mean, we, we do watch 90% of the stuff we watch, we watch together. Right. Um, I've got some things I watch by myself. She's got a couple things she watches by myself. Like if the other one's not home or we want to watch a thing. Uh-huh. And that's, I think, out of just survival instinct. So, like, we can't not watch TV together. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like, well, I want to watch this, but Amy's not home, so I can't. Right. Uh, are there... Are there shows that you will watch together that you don't like watching? No. No, you don't you won't like humor Amy by like watching something with her. Amy's got really good taste. <laughs> <laughs> and so so there are shows I watch that she would not enjoy and doesn't like. Mm-hmm. Uh, for one thing, she doesn't do cartoons. Oh really? Yeah. Uh just not her thing. And I watch a non-small number of cartoons, both like for adult stuff, like BoJack Horseman, which I think is great. Bob's mm-hmm. Burgers, which we've mentioned, is amazing. <sighs> love me some Bob's Burgers. Love, love Bob's Burgers. I, I've been making my way through Young Justice, which is a, a mm-hmm. DC teen superhero show. Mm-hmm. It's a cartoon on Netflix, uh, and so I watch things like that without her. She watches uh, Madam Secretary, is a show that she watches by herself. Mm-hmm. She watched the entirety of True Blood. Without me, not a show I'm interested in. It wasn't for me. Like yeah. I, I was like, eh. Uh, and so, so we have shows like that that we, you know, watch. Uh, we've been rewatching some Gilmore Girls lately because <gasps> Gilmore Girls is great. Yeah. Did you see the trailer for the new one? Yeah, I was so excited. Yeah, ooh, I'm really excited. I'm I'm very cautiously optimistic. Yeah, but. I'm- the trailer made me very excited. As each trailer comes out, I, the caution gets less and the optimism gets yeah. gets more. It. Did you watch Bunheads? No. You need to watch Bunheads. I was told I should not watch Bunheads. By somebody who must hate fun. Okay. <laughs> okay. It's good? I cried when it was not renewed. Like, not, not hyperbolically. Like, I was sad. Tears came out of your Tears eyeballs. Tears came out of my eyes when I learned that Bunheads did not get renewed. Is it available for me to stream somewhere? No. Okay, cool. Then maybe I'll watch Bunheads it's at some point terrible. in the future. It's terrible. I'm so sad. It was on Amazon Prime for a while, and I don't think it is anymore. Um, Bunheads was, uh, like, kind of, sort of, in the same universe, but none of the same characters, um, right? So it was created by Amy Sherman Palladino. Right. who created that and and there were some parallels so um 
Lorelai's mom played the main character, whose mm-hmm. name I totally know. I know I know the name of Lorelai's mom. I do. I know it. Uh, she played a character. <laughs> uh, Sutton Foster played uh, a character not unlike Lorelai Gilmore, mm-hmm. but also not anything like Lorelai Gilmore. Okay. Uh, it was, so it was written much the same way, but not... I mean, the premise of the show was kind of interesting. Uh, this woman was a Vegas showgirl who had aspirations and had once kind of like gone off to New York to become like a famous singer and dancer, really mm-hmm. dancer more than anything else. And that didn't work out until she ended up in Vegas. And she has this regular customer who, or customer, or guy who comes to see her shows and, and like, gives her gifts and then one day he says like will you marry me and she says yes Hmm. and so she moves to this small town where he lives and i'm going to spoil the first episode for you he then dies (laughs) um that's an amazing premise that's the premise that's an amazing amazing pilot oh my goodness his mother-in-law like that happens at the end of the pilot uh and his mother-in-law who's played by emily gilmore that's not her that's not the actress's name, obviously, but that's the, the character's yes, Emily name. Emily Gilmore, thank you. Um, who runs a dance school for young girls in the town. Okay. Uh, and so, like, she hires then this her, her daughter-in-law to, like, be a teacher there. Hmm. And so it follows her, but it also follows, like, four of the students who are in the, her class. They're, they are the titular bunheads. And they're, like, teenage girls? They're, like, teenage girls. Okay. Uh, they are teenage girls. Um, but they're all very well, like, they're as well-written as Rory Gilmore and all of her friends. Like, hmm. they're, they're amazing. They're all really fascinating. They're funny and smart and interesting. And the show is amazing. And I love Sutton Foster. She's delightful. She is amazing. Yeah. I watched a and this role was perfect for her. I watched uh, most of season one of uh, is it called Younger? It is. It's called Younger. Yeah. Ah, she's the best. I didn't watch that because the premise of that sounded really dumb. Sutton, but like Sutton Foster. Sutton Foster's great. great. Yeah, I love her. She's in the trailer for the new episodes of Gilmore Girls. Oh, I must have missed it. You did. She's in a pilgrim outfit. <laughs> there is a half second shot of two people on stage dressed as pilgrims. And one of them is Sutton Foster. Which Amy noticed because her dissertation is about popular depictions of pilgrims or Puritans technically. But she works a lot with pilgrims because those get conflated. <laughs> and, and so Amy texted me. I'm not even kidding. Amy texted me and said there are pilgrims in the new trailer for Gilmore Girls. And they're not Puritans. They're not. But because Puritans and pilgrims are not the same thing. Mm-hmm. But they get conflated and that's literally the theme of one of her chapters i didn't know that's what she was writing about that's really yeah. interesting uh that's yeah her her it's the uh, popular depictions of puritans in the 20th century is sort of her I, realm of study i, I love the specificity of, of, <laughs> welcome to phd dissertations right? that's uh, how they get it's incredible it's you have you have to find a new specific yeah. thing uh and so she's like there's pilgrims in it and i'm like that's great and then somebody like did a freeze frame of that shot and Sutton Foster was one of the two pilgrims. Had it not been previously revealed that she was in the cast? I don't know if it had or not, but I certainly didn't know it. I, I wonder, I wonder, and it's certainly possible that she literally just plays some background pilgrim and nothing else. 
I mean, it seemed like that was the main focus of that shot. So okay, like I I believe that she's at least got some lines. Um, but what I secretly want is for them to use these new episodes of Gilmore Girls mm-hmm. to just make more episodes of Bunheads. That's what I really want. <laughs> you don't you don't want more Gilmore Girls. I'd love more Gilmore Girls. More Gilmore Girls would be great. But Gilmore Girls was on for seven years. It yeah. had its chance. Yeah. Bunheads was on for one season. Oh man. Gil- I miss it so much. Okay. If I can get Bunheads, I will watch it. Mm-hmm. Um or I will add it to the list. Yeah. Yeah. Um but man, I watched Gilmore Girls earlier this year. I went through it in the spring or so yeah it's a miracle of a show it's an amazing tv show it's i've never i don't i don't know of a show to compare it to bunheads <clears throat> okay um but like it has its ups and downs yeah you know famously the final season is not great no it, the show well, doesn't, it doesn't have amy Palladino working on it so right yeah the show doesn't end well at all i have not seen the last episode of gilmore girls but you watched the rest of season seven yeah oh i mean like if you've already well, so, seen most of season if you've already seen yeah. season seven you might as well watch the finale but. i know so it's interesting i've not so i started gilmore girls in college mm-hmm. which was also the first year that rory was in college <laughs> uh maybe it was right before i went to college yeah i think she was ahead of me by a year or two but i started gilmore girls when she started going to college like that's when my, my mother and sister watched it and that's when i started watching it mm-hmm. and so i've seen everything at, from college forward not the finale, and only sporadic episodes from the first three seasons. Oh, so you've never really like, like I I, I watched most of the Dean period. <sighs> yeah, um, but I don't care about the guy that was after Dean because he wasn't Dean. Jesse. Yeah, I got I got no opinions on Jesse. Oh, uh, you should have opinions about Jesse. He's a dirtbag. I get that impression. Yeah, he's a dirtbag. But people love him. No, but he's a dirtbag, and they should not love him because he's a bad person. <laughs> he's all—he's in the trailer for the new thing. There was a, I figured there was he would be. one shot of Jesse him. was in there, so I was like, they're probably going to, or Dean has been there. Um, <sighs> Gilmore Girls is amazing. It impresses me so much that me, a 26-year-old man, could enjoy Gilmore Girls so much because on the surface it's a show for girls right like if you give it a very cursory <laughs> just very skimming I will, look uh, I will allow that you're like hey this show has all female lead characters mm-hmm. the show is meant for women and girls to relate to but it doesn't matter because it's an amazing show because it's so good anyway like the characters yeah are just so good that I can enjoy them and I don't have to relate to them. Mm-hmm. And I can relate to them on some things, but not not in my gender. Yeah. But I can I can only imagine what it must have been like to be a girl who watched Gilmore Girls like growing at, up at with, like the same age as yeah, growing Rory, up with Rory. Growing up with Rory. Like that must have been an amazing experience to have yeah. such a cool, awesome character like Rory to relate to mm-hmm. as you grew up and watched the show or if you were a little bit older and were a mom and could be and could be relating to Lorelai as yeah. the show went on oh, yeah. and you had a daughter growing up or something. Well, we've been watching it. It's funny. Amy's been talking about how she, and this is for a number of reasons, one of us was we're watching it as she's older, mm-hmm. uh, is how she views Lorelai's relationship to Emily and her father as well mm-hmm. in a very different light being now 
Lorelai's age as opposed to Rory's age. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's like, oh, I, I understand that relationship a lot more. And I understand what her parents are going through, like what they're trying to do in a way that I didn't. Yeah. When I was watching when it was on. Because Amy was probably the same age as Rory. Like they're very close. Because mm-hmm. I think Rory was a couple years older than me when the show was on. Uh, now, I do want to take a moment uh, and turn on the social criticism knob. Uh-huh. In sort of like how you were you were surprised that you could enjoy a show like focused solely on women. Sure. Um, I do want to just point out that women have been doing that for shows so and entertainment's focused solely on men forever. True. True. Yeah. So it's not that shocking that it can happen. Yeah. We just don't think about it or I'm, talk about it. Because I don't yeah. ever I don't have to do it because I have plenty of male you focused don't have shows to at my disposal. Empathize with someone of the opposite gender. Whereas for a lot of women out there, that's basically what they get. If right. they want to empathize with somebody cool and interesting and strong and like complex, right. chances are it's a dude. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. Just got to uh, throw that in there. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like uh, a lot of the selection for that's probably garbage. Like there's there's plenty there's so much horrible television, right? And mm-hmm. most of it has male lead characters. Yeah, Sturgeon's Law. 90% of everything is crap. Right. Um but Gilmore Girls is so good. Like, there's just so much to enjoy about it. It's an amazing show. It's the the world building, the town, all the minor characters who are in the town. All what of... was Kirk doing at Friday night dinners? <laughs> That's my question. That's that was the most interesting part of the trailer too. Yeah. Um, ah, it's so good. And Gilmore, Gilmore Girls had a little bit of the what I consider to be like the. I don't know what the right term to call this is, but like the romantic nonsense, like the the silly drama based on romantic ups and downs, especially for... Yeah, I don't know if I'd call it silly, but yeah. For Lorelai, like the... Yeah, Lorelai went through a lot of guys that the, were not right for her. And I mean, the but I liked those characters. Yeah. Uh, Max Medina. Max Medina. <laughs> I don't... Who was that? I don't remember the names. He was uh, one of Rory's teachers. Okay, so that was real early on. Yeah, yeah very yeah. early. Uh, oh right, because you didn't watch much. Well, of that. so I've seen all of the first season, I think, and most of, and about half the okay. second. Now I've since gone back and rewatched um, them. But I'm not, I'm not a fan of the like drawn out will they, won't they ness of uh, Lorelai and Luke. Yeah, it went on a little too long. Right. Like I feel like they should have like the the will they should have happened earlier than it did. Yeah. Just like the the playing it up for drama yeah. and stretching it out. Yeah. Like, I'm I'm glad it happened and it seemed yeah. and it seems great. Um, I'm happy for them. But overall, man, what an amazing show. It's an amazing it's show, yeah. So funny. And it's not like it's not a comedy per se, but it's so funny. Yeah. And it's it's so enjoyable. So a uh, fun story, um a uh a colleague of mine when I was in grad school uh was finishing she was uh she was Korean. I'm saying that for contextual reasons. Okay. Uh, and she finished her thesis, her master's thesis, and then basically locked herself in a room and watched the entirety of Gilmore Girls in like a week. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, and it was so amazing. And, and she'd never seen it before. She didn't have any sort of, uh, I mean, she'd lived in the U.S. for a number of years. So it wasn't like, she's like, what is this new thing? But yeah. it was like somebody recommended it to her and she was like, this is amazing. And she was like, I'm finally finished with my work. Let me just. I'm just going to just watch this show and nothing else. <laughs> That's incredible. Uh, which was awesome. Um, and I've, I've wondered since then, and I haven't actually done anything to like go find out, but I know K-dramas are really big. And I was curious, like, if at all, because that, like, 
Gilmore Girls has any sort of like thematic relationship to K dramas. Hmm. Um, I need to watch some at some point. Yeah, I've just, never seen like, anything. I should. They're they're. I won't say they're difficult to find, but they haven't shown up in my Netflix queue. Although Netflix has a bunch of them, so it's really uh, not too difficult to add them. But yeah, I just haven't made that modicum of effort to experience something new and different. Hmm. But yeah, Netflix has a ton of K dramas and foreign uh, TV shows. I didn't know that. Oh yeah, I've never been interested in or been exposed to that really. Yeah. I, I want to see more of them because I think that's a neat idea. Um, watching Jane the Virgin has certainly made me want to watch telenovelas. Really? Mm-hmm. I've seen a little bit of Jane the Virgin, and it's like I think it's pretty good. It's it, amazing. It doesn't uh, it doesn't grab me like it doesn't make me want to watch it. Did it's you not... just start in the middle, or did you just did no? You... Okay. Uh, like I I've seen most of the first season. Okay. Um, but. Like if it's on, like I've I've enjoyed watching it, yeah. but it it doesn't make me want to like go back and watch the next episode. Yeah, I don't so, get ready for that. Yeah, Amy and episode. I binged the first couple seasons, and the third season has just started. Yeah, and like each episode because it's a telenovela, like ends on a cliffhanger, and like oh my gosh, what's gonna happen? Right, and so we're like ah yeah ah, ah. but it's, yeah, but Jane it's the Virgin's a, a very well crafted show absolutely very very funny very yeah. meta and and silly sometimes but also like serious and dramatic in it's, a it's similar really vein uh crazy ex-girlfriend is amazing that's in my list i yeah. heard tons of good things about that it's amazing and i was really worried at the end of season one i won't tell you why but at the end of season one i was worried about season two mm-hmm. like i don't know if this is gonna work mm-hmm. uh, it's gonna work it's fine. <laughs> good i watched the first episode of season two yeah we're fine okay it's gonna good. be great let's know um I'm trying to think. My my list for television has been growing a lot because I feel like there's been lots of things coming out. Um, Did you watch any of the new Netflix things? Did you watch Luke Cage? We've started Luke Cage. Yeah, Uh, we don't. We never rush our way through the uh, the 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 not the Netflix shows, but the we were really Netflix shows because Orange is the New Black we didn't rush through. Uh, The Marvel series we don't really rush through. We kind of watch a little bit at a time. They can be at least Daredevil and Jessica Jones are very heavy. Yeah, heavy and kind of boring sometimes. They 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 squeeze eight episodes of content into thirteen episodes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see that. Um, it's yeah, I think that's part of the growing pains of learning to write a show for releasing an entire season at once versus releasing episode. By yeah, episode. but I think I think part of it's also the mandate that they have to make thirteen episodes. Stranger Things was eight episodes and it was perfect. Yeah, Stranger Things was kind of perfect. And it was eight episodes. 13 episodes of Stranger Things would not have worked as well. Right. Yeah, I wonder what uh, I wonder what Jessica Jones and Daredevil would be like if it was eight or ten. I think it'd be a better show. There's probably plenty you can cut. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, do you watch Black Mirror? That was the other Netflix that I came do. out. I do. I have not watched the new ones. Okay. Do you like it? Well, so it's an anthology show, so I like some of the episodes really well. Yeah. Uh, I didn't ever watch the Christmas special, so I haven't seen that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've seen the first two series in entirety. Black Mirror is really uh, polarizing. For so, you, like internally or for people? For, for in general. Oh, really? Um, I, overall, I've only ever heard people love it, so. Overall, I like it. Um, but some people, like, some people hate it. Some people just think it's dumb. Hmm. And it, or it's, it's. It's upsetting. Some people, well, not that. I think some, or maybe it's, people get really upset with its cynicism. 
that's fair and maybe that is what what they're using to mask how upsetting it is Mm -hmm. like they're not they're afraid of just not liking it because it's upsetting to them so they just say they don't like it because it's cynical yeah it certainly is very cynical yeah it's all about how technology can be bad yeah but i think it does it like i was i mean charlie brooker the guy who writes it is a comedian Mm. and i think it's important to know that it's a just a very dark comedy (laughs) right like there's the like it's like he's looking at it and there's a very thin line between comedy and horror right and i think that's the key that makes it really successful yeah it's like look at this maybe kind of possible future and how terrible it is but also how absurd it is well so this ties into a thing that uh somebody i think cory doctorow said once uh which is that science fiction doesn't predict the future good science fiction is really good at predicting the present hmm and and not meaning it's like it's like but it's about telling us about the world we live in now right star trek particularly the original star trek was very much about like hey this is what we could be this is hope and communication and collaboration and all that sort of ideas behind it uh, and I think Black Mirror does a really good job at holding that mirror up to reality. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, it's set in the future, but it's really set now. Right. It's a exaggerated. It exaggerates the things we're dealing with now yeah. to tell. A, Although uh, David Cameron maybe did have sex with a pig. <laughs> that was one of the most <laughs> incredible coincidences. I remember uh, with Charlie Booker. Uh, Booker or Brooker? Charlie. I think it's Brooker. Yeah. I remember seeing him on Twitter when news about David Cameron broke. He was like, listen, everybody, I swear to God, I didn't know about this. Like, this is just a crazy coincidence. I had no idea David Cameron maybe kind of had sex with a pig when he wrote an episode about the British prime minister having sex with a pig. Yeah. What a way to start a television show, by the right? way. Like, that's the episode you start with. Um my so my least favorite episode of black mirror i think they're all pretty good but my least favorite was the one with the uh dumb cartoon character also my least favorite who's obnoxious yeah. who uh jokingly runs for political office yeah. some local also political my office, least favorite episode and then wins and then spoiler alert the like uh epilogue to the episode is some dystopian like two minute dystopian future yeah. where apparently the weird cartoon character who ran for local office has taken over the world and oh, yeah there's not a good episode s- storm police who beat up people and there's weird billboards of the cartoon it, it, yeah. it's really strange um least favorite episode just because it wasn't a great episode of television yeah uh but it was the one that seemed most immediately prescient there's some truth there yeah like i i was amazed by that where i watched that and i was like okay like black mirror really sharp witty mm-hmm. insightful commentary on our current technological yeah. existence but come on you guys you went way too ridiculous with this one like some obnoxious lewd horrible cartoon <laughs> character couldn't possibly, couldn't possibly earn public office gain any kind of power and gain public office yeah. and then all of a sudden donald trump is like yeah. by the way i'm running for president yeah and it works out pretty well it's pretty close to accurate um, still not a great episode of television no. but very surprising at how predictive that turned out can to i be. ask a question though i, I want to ask always ask people when they talk about black mirror mm-hmm. and because i figured this out and i don't know if anybody else did and like my fear is everybody else did and they just would think i'm done for asking <laughs> uh do you know what the title means black mirror mm-hmm. 
I assume it's uh, like our screens of of electronic devices are black mirrors. Okay, good. Like that's because like I figured that out. I was like, oh, that's really cool. Like it's a really clever name because yeah. it's not immediately obvious, but that's what it's about. Yeah. But like I never hear anybody talking about it, <laughs> and I'm like, am I the only one who knows this? Like, did I did I figure it out? Nobody else talks about it, or does everybody know it? And so we just don't talk about it because we all know it. I don't. I think it's a thing where people people who do figure it out just think it's just assume it but i don't i think lots of people probably don't realize what it means like that's like the name of the show is that we are surrounded by these black mirrors that affect our lives in ways we couldn't possibly understand like that's and the show is a mirror because it's reflecting ourselves back to us like it's it's a very good title yeah but i did I always wanted like like do you know what the title means? And like just before we start talking, do you understand what the title means? Is this just me? Because if you do, we can keep talking. But if you don't, <laughs> I don't know if this is the show for you. Um, when you asked me, I was afraid. Like, shoot, is my assumption wrong? Is it no, well, something even like, more clever? It's not. It's just as clever as it needs to be. But I like I've never heard anybody else talk about yeah. the title, and so I was like, is is it me? Am I? Am I? wrongly thinking i'm clever for figuring it out <laughs> is it obvious and everybody knows it because i didn't immediately get it like i had a moment when i realized yeah. it and i was like oh cool yeah but no um i really do like black mirror i'm a fan of anthology style things i think we it's don't a, have many of those anymore i think it's a fun way to experience a tv show mm-hmm. you just get a, 60 a story mi- 60 minute story and it's self-contained and it's yeah good or okay in some circumstances but yeah. All right. What's your favorite episode of Black Mirror? If we're doing least favorite, my favorite is uh, the title's White Bear. That was my favorite too. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a really that really was a good devastating one. hour hour and a half. And in a way, I think it's the least likely. Mm-hmm. Like it's the least predictive of a possible future. Yeah. I don't think anything like that would ever become reality in the way that I think, especially the like. Uh, one where you have a eye camera and it records all your memories and it's uh, about what's ha- called like your entire life yeah the, the entire your, history of you yeah, the entire, yeah that's what the entire history of you you know like i think that is a very possible thing mm-hmm. um but having a theme park where the attraction is a prisoner who is being forced to play out the crime that they perpetrated and suffer from that yeah. crime themselves like that's a very seems like a very unlikely possible yeah future. but i think man the best that was episode, a good episode yeah because it keeps you in the dark spoiler alert for black mirror <laughs> i guess yeah uh keeps you in the dark about what's going on and then the realization happens and the following realization happens like when there's the, like three or four yeah, of them man it's uh yeah, it was good dark it was good and really really upsetting yeah uh you should watch the christmas special i've heard that i heard i should watch that because i think that is even more upsetting oh good that's that's what i want not very christmas spirity yeah it happens like it takes place during winter and there's like snow and stuff and christmas is happening in some circum in some settings but very bleak you know something really funny this is this is a thing is i've known charlie brooker long before uh black, black mirror. mirror i don't know him from anything else what's he well done? so he's he was a comedian and he was he was a games journalist at one point and then he became uh most famous for a show called screen wipe hmm. uh where he it was a, a tv series about tv series okay um and sort of about like really good tv or how tv works um, we have an episode on like reality TV and like all the tricks that they use, uh, and it was a really 
niche. It wasn't super deep, and it was not necessarily stuff that people haven't heard before if they were to look. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a, it was a TV show about TV, and there were a couple of spinoffs. He did one that's called Games Wipe that was about video games. I did one that's called News Wipe that was whatever the weekly news had been. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did you know eight maybe different series in this sort of vein. And then apparently he did and then he did Black Mirror and like blew up. But he was already really big in London. I've, I've watched London or in London TV. I've watched British TV like in spits and burts my entire life. Is spits and burts a phrase? No, it is not. And after it came out, I was hoping we would just move past it. But we didn't. <laughs> that's, that's the episode title. <laughs> uh, spits and burts. Is not a phrase. Is that B U R T? Uh, yeah, it was probably B U R T when I said it. Okay. <laughs> I think I was going for spits and spurts. For fits and spurts? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> spits and burts. That's what I said. So, yeah. Anyway. Uh, but I've, I've always watched British TV, like from yeah. Doctor Who and mm-hmm. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Like, I got Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy on VHS from my local library. Wow. When I was a kid. You watched Sherlock? Uh, I did, but I've stopped. Okay. Got boring. Uh, season three made me mad and I quit. Oh. So. I think I watched one and two. Yeah. One and two were pretty good. Yeah. Uh, season three made me mad and so I quit after the first episode. <laughs> uh, but Stephen Moffat just makes me mad, I think, in general. Like, I've gotten to that point. He's the guy in charge of Sherlock and, and Doctor, Doctor Who, Who right, right now. now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I, so I watched Doctor Who as a kid. Uh, I watched Hitchhiker's Guide. Uh, I watched British. So there was a obscure cable channel we had. I don't remember what the channel was. Mm-hmm. But at 6 a.m., they would show two shows in a row, and they were both British. <laughs> one of them was called Art Attack, and one of them was called How To. And they were both, like, educational TV shows for British kids. Art Attack is a really good name. It's a really good name. Uh, and one was about art, and one was about, like, how things work. Mm-hmm. And so I watched those as a kid, and so I've always been watching British TV. Uh, and I've always, like, I watched Prime Suspect with Helen Mirren. Like, that was really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, like, I'm always... I forget that other people aren't as aware of British TV culture as I am. Right. <laughs> it's a very... I've, just, I've just been like always consuming it at least a little bit. Yeah. Uh, uh, Monty Python. Like I, I've been watching Monty Python since I was in middle school. Wow. Like the TV series, not just the like Holy Grail. Mm-hmm. I've seen, I've seen a little bit of the TV show. Um, I have it all on DVD if you'd like to borrow it. Oh wait, you don't have a DVD player. Yeah. Suck it. Um, my favorite British television uh, thing, and I'm not much of a British TV person. Like, sure. I've, I don't, I've never seen Doctor Who, and I have no interest in it. That's fine. Uh, I've seen a little bit of Sherlock, you know, uh, spits and bursts. As spits you and bursts. <laughs> bursts, as you might say. Uh, my favorite t- British TV is, um, oh, shoot, come on, wrong time for a brain fart. Uh, who's the Monty Python guy? Uh, Faulty Towers. Uh, Faulty Towers is pretty good. And I've tried. Towers is pretty I've good. Tried to show Faulty Towers to people, and they're like, uh, "This isn't funny. What's wrong with you?" Yeah, this Faulty is Towers is Faulty Towers is a difficult one to introduce people to. Faulty Towers is perfect, a hundred percent from start <laughs> yeah, to finish. Yeah, it is amazing. So Except- the reason he never made a third series is because, like, he's like, "No, we can't beat what we've already made." 
Really? Yeah. He's like, it just can't be better. No, we're done. It's a little so, racist sometimes. It, yeah. <laughs> but well, yeah. Other than that, it's really uh, good. Well, British so, comedy. so Faulty Towers is the, is a version of TV that we don't have a lot of in the U.S., mm-hmm. which is a farce, right? Um, and it's and it, particularly the British farce, where ninety percent of each episode is set up. Right, and then it just collapses. And it collapses at the end. Yeah. Uh, we do have a show like that in the U.S. Which is? Frasier. Oh, I never saw it. Frasier, particularly in its later years, is a British farce. Mm-hmm. And British people, but other than that, like it fits that structure. Hmm. Where a lot of things, there's you know lies and miscommunications and things, and it builds, and then it collapses at the end. <sighs> so um, so and, and you can't... Like, you start watching Faulty Towers, and there are jokes. Yeah. But it's a very slow burn. And then you get to the final bit, and you explode with la- yeah. laughter. Yeah. My favorite thing about Faulty Towers yeah. is... I don't I don't think there's any likable characters on it. No. Uh, and that's a really there unusual... no likable characters. That's a really unusual thing for American television. Yeah. Um... You, American TV wants there to be someone relatable and mm-hmm. likable for the audience to feel comfortable. And yeah, uh, Faulty Towers has no one likable, and you really just get to watch these characters, these terrible people, horrible, terrible people that are interesting enough to enjoy watching, mm-hmm. but you still hate them enough, but you get to watch them suffer. Yeah. Like, they do really dumb, silly things, like the, the whole farce construction. Yeah. They spend the, most of the episode doing a bunch of really dumb stuff, and you go, why are you so stupid? Why are you yeah. doing this? And then you get to witness the consequences of that mm-hmm. fall apart for them, and it's so, and that's what's satisfying. Not You don't get satisfaction out of watching someone you enjoy and like and relate to yeah. accomplish anything you watch someone you hate and despise suffer for their own yes their own consequences and yes it's so uh, so do well you know done. there have been at least one i think two different attempts to make an american version of faulty towers and i did not know and that. they all failed because they tried to make the protagonist likable you, you can't you no. can't because if the protagonist was likable and then you had stuff go poorly for them you, you feel bad. You'd feel bad. It wouldn't you don't be, have a joke. It wouldn't be funny. Yeah. It would be sad. Yeah. That's a that would be a really weird show. It would yeah. I've not watched it, but there were I think two different versions they tried to make it that just didn't work. Yeah. Do you know the do you know the myth? I don't know if this is true or not, of how Faulty Towers came to be? I do not. So apparently, while working on a movie, the entire cast of Monty Python, like the group, mm-hmm. went to a hotel in like the north of England. Uh-huh. And the service was so terrible that <laughs> five of the six members left. John Cleese started sitting down and taking notes. Oh my gosh. Like, no that's, way. That's the myth. I do not know if there's any truth to that at all. That's a good story. It's a great story. Is John Cleese sat down and took notes and, and, then, and, and then created Faulty Towers. <laughs> That sounds like the kind of thing John Cleese would make up, so it makes him sound way cooler. Absolutely. Me. Like, again, I I don't put any, like, there's no necessarily truth to it. Sure. But it's a great story. Yeah. I mean, like, I could imagine it being true. Yeah. It's not preposterous, but <laughs> the idea of John Cleese, like, suffering some horrible hotel service <laughs> and then just, like, writing down what's going on yeah. is, is very delightful. He's like, we need to make this into a TV show. Yeah. 
uh yeah black mirror is good it's rough though yeah it's not a show i enjoy watching necessarily and like so i uh i can easily tend to binge watch shows and i i can't watch more than one episode of that at a yeah. time yeah it's really we intense. don't have really any other anthology shows in the u.s right now and there's not really in british in, in england that i know of either not that i can think of the closest thing we have is something like masterpiece in mpbs like masterpiece theater yeah but typically those are just imported things like a movie or something they'll show right it's not truly created as part of the masterpiece right series but there used to be a bunch of them there was stuff like uh i mean twilight zone being the obvious example but tales from the crypt that mm-hmm. was one mm-hmm. uh amazing stories i think was a tv series yeah and people kind of talk about black mirror being the like reincarnation of twilight zone sure and i think there's there's some truth to that i think charlie brooker's acknowledged that even in some of the interviews i've heard yeah it's like you know we used as an inspiration it's sort of like talking about the world we live in through science fiction because that's what sci-fi does really well right hmm let's hope our future isn't that bad yeah did you ever read the animorphs I don't I don't think I ever actually read one of the books. Okay. I think I looked at a lot of Animorphs covers. <laughs> I think I they spent They were cool looking covers. I think I spent a lot of time in my school library looking at Animorphs covers, but I don't there remember actually really reading covers. one. I was listening to a podcast that I like uh, called the Sister Time podcast, uh, where okay. two sisters watch TV shows that your childhood forgot. Uh, and then talk about them. Okay. Was there an Animorphs TV show? There was. Um, and for the Animorphs TV show, they did a crossover episode with another podcast called like, I'm going to call it the Morph Files, but that's not what it was. <laughs> uh, the Morph Club, something like that. Morph, uh, yeah. Morphology. But it, it's a podcast where these uh, two women are going book by book through the Animorphs again, which oh is amazing to me as someone who loved the Animorphs. You read a lot of them? I read all of them. How many are there? Well, there's 54 main books in the series. Oh, my gosh. Uh, then there are The Andalite Chronicles, Visser, The hork Chronicles, two Megamorphs books, and two Choose Your Own Morph books. I need to learn how to not get nerds to start <laughs> subcategorizing their interests. <laughs> it never goes well. So, over 60. There are okay. over 60 books in the series. And I, I was a huge fan. Uh-huh. Like, I loved them. Um, and I've, I've, disclosure, I have the entire series in my apartment right now. You own all of them? I do. Wow. Uh, which was difficult. I had to save them more than once. I'm impressed by that. Uh, I might have not, not have a couple of the spinoff books. I haven't actually looked in the box yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I, I always tell my story about how I started reading the Animorphs, which I was in fifth grade. Uh, and I was going to get a flu shot, and I hated needles. Okay. Uh, I had had pneumonia a couple times. One time they had to give me a shot in each leg simultaneously, mm. which involved me, before that, crawling under the examination table Aww. and, like, being held down. Like, I hated needles. It was the worst thing ever. And we were at the doctor's office, like, waiting to get our flu shots. Mm-hmm. And I opened up one of the magazines for kids there, and there was a stapled booklet inside of one. That was an excerpt from the first Animorphs book. What was the first 
uh, morphing. What was the animal? It was a lizard. Nice. Uh, and that was on the cover. Like it was that that yeah. CGI morph yeah. art. Oh, so cool. Such great cool art. Great art. Um, that was on the cover, and it's like coming next month. Like animorphs. Mm-hmm. Like here's an excerpt, and it was maybe twenty pages long. And I started reading it, and I was so engrossed in it that we went into like the room where they give you a shot, and I got the shot without noticing it. Wow. And I was like, well, going to read all of these, I guess. <laughs> and I did. And I read every single one. And for a large portion of the time, there was a new book coming out every month. Were these written by one person or by like? Yes and no. So the the original, so K.A. Applegate or Catherine Applegate is the the uh, author on all of them. And she is a real person. Okay. Uh, before Animorphs, uh, she actually was known for writing like romance novels for high schoolers. Like hmm. like teen drama romance stuff, not like sexy time. Not like romance sexy time novels, romance yeah. novels. As far as I know, they were not sexy time. I've never actually read any of her uh, teen romance stuff. So closer to like Sweet Valley Kids than uh, sexy time romance novels. <laughs> sure. As far as I know, uh, she's written stuff as an adult as well, or for adults as well. I enjoyed a couple of series after Animorphs uh, that were never as popular, but I read all of them as well. Okay, and. Um, so originally she was writing them all and churning them out once a month. Um, later, uh, there were a number of ghostwriters that she worked with. She had a stable of standwriters where she would write very detailed outlines yeah. and they would flesh them out of the actual books. Um, in the last 12, she wrote herself like very, like, to, very, like finish to finish out. the series. That's quite a feat. Yeah. Like I'm, I, I won't hold up Animorphs as some kind of like pinnacle of no. literary achievement no but nonetheless that's a lot of books it is and a lot of writing mm-hmm. still an impressive accomplishment oh, absolutely and i was i was buying them every month like i knew when they came out and i would go to the barnes and noble and like they remembered me at barnes and noble like coming in every day and buy or once a month and buying them wow fun fact i then later worked at that barnes and noble <laughs> nice. uh, with a guy who sold me some of those books like he i don't know if he knew i was the same kid uh, because I, I started in fifth grade and the series went on for, I want to say six years mm-hmm. um, around that time. Because they, they slowed down the, the books by the end. Like the last 12 came out once every other month instead of once a month. Okay. Because she was writing them herself. So, you know. <laughs> it's not a long time. It's not a long to time. To write a book. Um, and so I went from like 10 to 16, uh, roughly. Yeah. And I got the job at Barnes & Noble when I was 16. So like. Wow. The, I, the people who were selling me the Animorphs books were then like my co-workers not long after. <laughs> um, no, they're really good. They're super weird. Yeah. Like there's blog posts going around that I've seen recently of like all the absolutely insane things that happened in the Animorphs books. <laughs> and I was like, yep, I kind of remember that. Yep, I remember that. Uh, there is, and this is completely real. This is maybe the worst thing in any of the books. Uh, there is a, so there's six main Animorphs kids that are that have the ability to morph Mm -hmm. everybody else does not okay i should give you some context uh the world is being taken over by an alien race uh who are tiny little slug-like creatures that crawl into people's ears and take control of their minds invasion of the body snatchers sort of thing they're called yurks uh and these six five this group of children um (laughs) five or six things complex okay well, another one shows up later, but he's not a kid. He's actually an alien. 
but pretending so, to be a kid. Well, they know he's an alien. Oh, but he's pretending to everybody else that he's a, he's a teenager. Gotcha. Because uh, he can morph into other people. He can. That's what the animorphs do. Is sure. they, can, they they get magical powers from a dying blue centaur alien that allows them to steal the DNA of other animals and morph into them for two hours at a time. They can stay morphed for longer, but if they stay in their morph for more than two hours, they're frozen permanently as that creature. Okay. <laughs> There's more to Animorphs than I remember, than I knew. <laughs> this is like the first three books. Dang. Um, I'm riveted. <laughs> <laughs> so they get the ability to fight the Yurks by morphing into animals and like attacking them and stuff. But okay. it's a secret invasion. They have to like make sure nobody knows who they are. So that they don't get, like, their families killed or them targeted and things like that. Because the Animorphs don't know, or the Yurks don't know who these Animorph kids are. Right. Um, or even that they're teenagers. They don't know. They just know they're getting attacked. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the kids does, in fact, get stuck in his morph. Um, and he spends the rest of the series as a hawk. Not a bad animal no. to be stuck as? not a bad animal. Uh, technically, was it a hawk? I want to say it was a hawk. Yeah, the other char- one of the other characters turned into a peregrine falcon, but he was a hawk, not permanently. Bur- like uh, bird of prey. Oh, absolutely is yeah. a is a good category to be stuck yeah. as. If you were stuck as like a yeah, uh, and, and the books the books were really cool because they had a bunch of descriptions. Like the description of morphing is disgusting. Like it's terrible and visceral. Like their skin ripping open. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah, and you know their legs bending backwards as they turn into a dog, and their knees reverse directions. Um, like feathers sprouting from their bodies Ugh. while they're shrinking to become the size of a bird. It's rough. All that sort of stuff. And eventually, another uh, Andalite—that's the blue centaur creatures—crash uh, lands on their planet or shows up on the planet. I don't remember. He's, uh, do they find him at the bottom of the ocean? That's what it was. What? <laughs> uh, weird books am i having a fever dream (laughs) i'm pretty sure they find him at the bottom of the ocean um and uh he hangs out with him and tries to defend because he's he's fighting the war also uh and he steals a little bit of each of their dna and mixes it together to make his human body so he looks basically like all of the others but only a little bit Uh uh-huh um anyway later in the series another kid gets the power to become an animorph to, to morph into animals and he turns out to not be so cool and so um the only thing that they can do now this these these series get dark because they like these are kids fighting a war and it actually like gets into that sort of like especially as the series goes on Uh um they decide that he can't be an animorph anymore but you can't like they can't kill him because that's they don't want to kill people right so instead they trap him in the body of a rat for more than two hours and then drop him on an island out on the coast with a bunch of other rats and just leave him that is so fucked up yeah how do they how do they prevent him from going back to human well no if you're if you're in your body more for more than two hours you're stuck right but how do they how do they keep i don't remember specifically maybe they drugged him i don't remember specifically the details of how they did it but he's a rat forever and they just drop him on an island full of rats yeah do we find out what happens after that no no, I mean maybe, but I don't remember. Like you, like they you, they say that, you know occasionally like boats go by and they can hear because they can communicate telepathically uh, while they're in morph form. What? And so pa- appear, apparently, you know, boat people would on the island would occasionally hear something like "Help me." It's dark. 
Holy shit. And also Gonzo. They also go to other planets. They talk to whales. There's a lot going on. But, um... Whoa. I'm... That is not age-appropriate. It's pretty dark. Dang. It's a really good series, though. I'm, I'm like, stuck trying to figure out what it would be like to be stuck as a rat and stranded on an island. Well, the thing is, the animal brain is always still present, and so you have to, like, fight it. Like, so when they're, when you're a bird of prey, like, you have to, like, not go chase that rat you just saw. You have to, like, stay focused and overcome the mind of the animal. Ooh, okay. Uh, which is an ongoing challenge. And so and so it's really kind of cool because you get, like, a sense for what it might be like to be this creature and to, like, have that mindset. Right. Um, but if you're stuck permanently, maybe it's easier to just give in and... Truly yeah. become the rat and let the rat mind take that's over. That's something that uh, the Tobias, the guy who's stuck as a hawk, has to kind of deal with and fight about. Oh my god. Yeah. Fuck. That's about as dark as the series went. Well, I mean, uh, the main character learns pretty early on that his brother is um, is a controller. He's like got a yerk in his brain. Uh-huh. Um, one of the characters' his mom is a high-ranking official in the yerk army. Hmm. Again, with the the leech in her brain, not, right? Not her. Black Mirror's got nothing on that. <laughs> so, uh, I just finished reading Lord of the Rings for the fifth time, third time, third time. Silmarillion has been six. Okay. Lord of the Rings, third time. Congrats. Uh, I'm looking for a new books to read. I'm going to bring over my box of the Animorphs. I don't. I don't think I'm going to get into Animorphs. I don't okay. know if I'm ready for that kind of like heavy. They're quick. You can read them in a day. Investment. Um, I don't know if I'm mature enough for that content. <laughs> I did know. Um, so it was homeschooled. So one of the other homeschool families uh-huh. would not let their kids read the Animorphs because they had to lie to their parents. <laughs> and and they, wow, really? Yeah, that's it. You can't let your kids read about that. They might lie to you. I mean, I wasn't allowed to play Pokemon because they because Pokemon is pocket demon. Yeah, and that's how Satan takes over your brain. Yeah. Same thing with uh, Pokemon Harry Potter. Yeah. Well, sure. Uh, which like those are all standard. Yeah. Witchcraft will really. Uh, yeah. You know, you'll go to hell. Yeah. Uh, no. So uh, I don't think I'm going to read Animorphs. Okay. Um. But I am looking for new books to read. And I would really like to fight the ever-present urge in my brain to just read a thing I've already read. <laughs> That's weird that you, like, are fighting that to me. Why? Do you think I shouldn't? Well, no, I, I don't. I mean, you can read whatever you want. But, like, when I finish a book, like, there are very few books that I've wanted to go back and read again. Oh, or but- that have even gone back to read again. Like, I've read the same book. Like, I can think maybe three or four books that I've read more than once. Most of the books I've read have read more than once. Yeah. Like, I like I, I just like returning to things I've already enjoyed in the past. Yeah. Like, I've read the Harry Potter series more than once. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've read The Moon is a Harsh Mistress a few times. That's maybe it. Uh, oh, The Westing Game was a, a young adult novel that I've read probably five or six times. My my two main things are uh, Tolkien stuff. Sure. Uh, so I, I reread those regularly. Yeah, all the and, time. And I actually don't have a problem with that. Like, I, 
I would like to have a life where I r regularly read those books because okay. I think they're endlessly mineable for sure. further analysis and enjoyment yeah. and whatnot. Um, but then the other thing that I regularly return to is the works of C.S. Lewis. Okay. Uh, not necessarily the Chronicles of Narnia. The stuff like Screwtape or Mere Christianity or... Right, his theological stuff. Yeah. Because uh, I just really like C.S. Lewis's writing. That's valid. Uh, but, I mean, I've read that stuff enough. Mm -hmm. Like, I should read books I haven't read before. Yeah. Uh, so I'm trying to figure out what I want to read next. And I don't know, because then I have... I have a very small collection of books here in yeah. my apartment, and there's a book over there that I would love to read again. Yeah, I, I read 52 new books every year. That's minimum. Admirable. Not a goal I would ever set for myself, at least not at this no. stage. I mean, I started doing it about three or four years ago. I think it was my fourth year. Uh, do you have any suggestions for me? Any good books I should read? Oof. Let me pull up my Goodreads <laughs> account. Um, what are you in the mood for? I so the thing that I'm leaning towards most mm -hmm. for myself is a uh, an author who I've never read before. Okay, uh, his name is Pete Enns. Okay, uh, it's more like theology stuff. Okay, uh, so that seems interesting to me. I'm not necessarily looking for like a novel, yeah. but something uh, to make my brain think. Okay, that was a loud truck outside. I would recommend to you uh, mm -hmm. to make your brain think if you want to go that direction. I like when my brain thinks. Uh, it is a novel, but it's it's a novel I think would make your brain think. Okay, The Dispossessed by uh, Ursula K. Le Guin. Okay, is this one of the books you've read in your year of reading books not by white dudes? Straight white dudes. Straight yeah. white dudes. Yeah, I would have. I should have read it years ago. It's an amazing novel. Um, it's a utopian novel, uh, which is rare. I feel like dystopian novels are more common. Yes. <laughs> um, but it, it is a, a utopian novel. That sounds boring. Uh, you would think so. I thought the whole point of utopia is that people don't want to write stories about utopias because they're boring utopias. You would think so. Uh, so is the... it actually a dystopia? No. It's okay. not actually a dystopia. Okay. I would argue it is... I think about this book and go, man, I want to live in that world. All right, that sounds Which I would never said for a dystopian <laughs> novel. Like, I, like even, even with the problems that exist, mm -hmm. I would say, man, I would, like, I, I think I want to live there. Is this science fiction? Yes. Okay. Uh, so it takes place, I'll give you a little bit of a primer. Sure. Um, it takes place on a planet and its moon, although which is which is... Uh, debatable by who lives on which end <laughs> <laughs> interesting um although arguably one is actually the moon i mean one orbits the other eh. but if you have a planet that close and you're sitting on the other one it looks like your moon but but one orbits the other sure unless they're orbiting each other then it's that's a... not the point of the story <sighs> okay all right uh, getting caught up in the details the the point of the story is uh there is a, a society and i can't remember the name of it but they are they are the utopia of of the story mm -hmm. um and they are an anarchist society okay um and i won't describe it much more than that but the 
one of a scientist from this world, from the anarchist utopia, decides that he wants to go visit the other world. Mm-hmm. And so he does. And so he gets on the, the supply drop ship um, and tells them he's going to come with them, and he does. Is there not a lot of communication between? Very little. So there's a supply ship that comes through, and people put messages on it and go back and forth. Most of the folks living on the moon don't care to talk to them. They don't want to talk to them okay. because they're wrong. Okay. Um, and so he goes to this other planet. And the, the chapters of the book alternate between him on that planet and experiencing and, and coming from this society and experiencing a world unlike his own. Mm-hmm. And the other half is, so he, the other chapters are leading up to his choice to leave and explore. And so it's, it's achronological in that respect. Right, bounces back yeah. and forth like so the, every other the chapter. the first chapter happens in the middle of the story. And the second chapter goes back to the beginning of his life. Okay. And the third chapter happens immediately after the first. And then it sort of, it sort of bounces back and forth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it allows you to alternate seeing this utopian society and everything else. Right. Um, it's a good mechanism. It is. It's a really good mechanism. And like I think about the world of this book on a regular basis. Because you desire it? Yeah, partially. But also because, like, I I think about... It made me see our world in new ways. Which is how science fiction does its job. Yeah. Yeah. Mind you, this book was written in the 70s, but it's still accurate. Um, Like, I I think about, like, the capitalist society we live in. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes I think about it in response to things that were in this book and like because the the anarchist society is not the the depiction of anarchy that we see today which is a product of an anti-anarchist establishment (laughs) um anarchy is is about like freedom of choice and being able to do whatever you want without a law telling you otherwise Mm -hmm. yeah but also generally choosing and having compassion for your community and fellow man and not acting in violence against them and doing things that to help society get better because you think you, you think that society should get better. And so you want to help accomplish that. And anarchy is usually depicted as people who don't want laws so that they can do bad things. Yeah. Hmm. Um, there's, there's, that's, a, that's a really optimistic viewpoint of humans. Well, so that's a depiction of what anarchy looked like in the 18th century. Like that was the anarchist movement. Okay. Um, which eventually kind of became the socialist movement. There's, there's a lot of ties to that. Uh-huh. Um, you know, 18th, 19th, 19th century anarchy was very much about letting the people be in charge, not the the elected people, not the monarchs, but letting the people be free to choose and decide and not give power to a select few over right. anyone else. I'm having a hard time imagining that being a good idea. Read the book. Because uh, yeah. I'm not doing a very good job of describing it. Like, I'll be honest. Sure. Uh, and I mean, a book yeah. gets a book gets to invent a world where that works well if it wants it to well, work well. And, but. and it's important to know that the the society that is the anarchist society 
was founded by a group of people who believed this separated from everybody else. Right. Like they left the planet to go live on the moon so that they could create their anarchist society. Sure. Yeah. And, and when, when I think about anarchy, I think about the people in current day America who were like, we want there to be anarchy. And if anarchy was just like imposed upon America, the purge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, oh my God. I've never seen one of those. I don't either. But... but yeah, like that's, that's the idea you get. Yeah. People want anarchy so that they don't have rules so that they can do what they want. And yeah smoke weed because the man can't get mad at you yeah. for smoking like and and there's nothing wrong with smoking weed but like just, but that's that's a, that is a um so the book kind of addresses this with the idea of of egotism uh-huh. and egoism and putting yourself before others and thinking that you are better than other people right and so this this world of anarchy has more or less abolished that huh um through education and socialization and things like that yeah that seems real idealistic oh absolutely okay Okay. and and the the book makes an argument that that it can't happen okay um or that it that it it would not be perfect i would say it that way not that it couldn't happen but that it is imperfect yeah i think you need a very idealist ideal population for an anarchy Mm. to work because as far as I see it, like government and laws and stuff can have all kinds of problems and be corrupt and imposing yeah. and controlling and blah, blah, blah. But for the most part, they should exist so that the less fortunate and the unprivileged in the population can have some form of protection. Yeah. And if you have an anarchy, then usually those people have and no the, protection. The, the counter argument to that is we as a society have to take care of them. Right. But it has to, and the, the anarchist argument is it has to be, we as a society have to individually work as, work together to make that happen. As right. opposed to the government, we pick the government, we say, okay, make that happen. I've washed my hands of it. And They're going to make it happen. And then we hope that they do the yeah. right thing to make it happen. Yeah. But the, the anarchy of this book is, no, I have to every day work to make the world a good place yeah hmm so that's what i'd recommend to you the dispossessed the dispossessed cool uh that's one of the books i think about more than anything else recently how long ago did you read it earlier this year is it horribly dark and tragic and sad in the end no oh man do you want that that's usually i mean i don't know if that's necessarily what i like in books but that's usually how books i read end <laughs> okay um let me see uh like that that's what I, that's what i've been thinking about a lot because that is that is the theme of of tolkien is uh things are bad and everything's sad and nothing goes well and, and even even victories are spoiled uh, I'm trying to think about other books I've, that stick in my brain. I'm thinking about getting a library card so I can maybe go oh, to man, the library. Oh, man, you got to get yourself a library card. Pick myself up some books from the library to read. Freaking love library cards. Because I'm trying, I'm trying to start reading yeah. more. And I'm thinking, I don't want to, like, buy all these books. Yeah. I mean, I like, I like owning books, too. but I'm happy to own a book, but yeah. I'm, I'm not going to – I'm hesitant to buy a book if, <laughs> if I've never read it. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? No, I get that. I mean, the top three books I've read 
this year or apparently last year were uh, Version Control by Dexter Palmer, uh, The Sudden Appearance of Hope by Claire North, and The Dispossessed. Like, those are my top three. Like, those were amazing. Is, is Version Control about software development? Um, a little bit, actually. Is it a novel? It is. Okay. They're all novels. Um, I that was just some, like, academic book about yeah, I don't read. I don't read a lot of nonfiction. Um, uh, what did you read as a kid? Lord of the Rings? I've, I've never been that much of a reader. Okay. Um, like, the things I've read are... Yeah. If I ever was a reader, it was never because I was just someone who read books all the time. It's because I found a specific thing that I really enjoyed and read okay. it a lot. So, Tolkien stuff. Yeah. Uh, like, C.S. Lewis. I, like, I got into C.S. Lewis because of the Chronicles of Narnia. And, sure. And the Out of Silent Planet trilogy. I um, know that one. It's a little sci-fi trilogy that c.s lewis wrote oh, that's cool it's a uh, really c.s lewis is a really good writer yeah and i agree with most of his ideas mm-hmm. uh but he's not all that subtle no like have you read narnia i've read most of narnia yeah so like it's it's a cute little fantasy story that's really good, mm-hmm. uh, but it's like Jesus, yeah. God, heaven, yeah. super, ah! super and, strong allegory. And out of out of Silent Planet is a little sci-fi series about someone who like travels to some planets, uh, but it's also like Jesus, God, <laughs> religion. <laughs> um, I remember being super into survival novels. There was a like Hatchet, Hatchet, yeah. I read the whole Hatchet series. So did I. I, I have it. It's one oh, really? of, it's one That's of the awesome. very few books on my bookshelf. So it's, you have you have what? There's Hatchet, uh, The Return, uh, there's the, the River, and Brian's Winter, which was the yes. spinoff alternate version. If, if he didn't get rescued, yeah. he had the winter. Were there any yeah. more than that, or was it just those four? Uh, just, those, just those four. Uh, and then the same author, Gary Paulson, wrote a couple other books yes. that yes. were similar uh, I forget the titles. It's literally sitting over my bookshelf over there. You have the other ones as well? Yeah. Okay. It's a, it's a collection of like Hatchet and then a couple other things. Oh, cool. Um, there was one that I really remember and I actually think about on a regular basis. It's um, it's the, it's a fairly short story, but it's about uh, this, this teenage boy goes to like his grandparents or his, like his aunt and uncle's house or something in the woods mm-hmm. to go like deer hunting. And he goes deer hunting by himself. Okay. And so, like, the beginning of the book is, like, he goes out into the woods and he, like, spends the day, like, looking for this deer. Yeah. And then he shoots it, but, like, just barely hits it. Oh. Right? Like, does, like doesn't even really injure it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And the deer runs, so he chases it. Mm-hmm. And then the whole book is him running and walking and chasing, chasing after this deer. Oh, that's cool. Until he eventually runs the deer to death yeah and he like the the bullet the tiny little bullet wound was not sufficient didn't even do anything but he runs the deer to death and it's this the whole story is just his journey through the woods and and the couple of days of him tracking this deer and he run he just runs it to death and then he's like i guess i got a deer (laughs) yep and and it's this really weird like feeling of like you did the great big thing that you set out to do like mm-hmm. coming of age story like you yeah. accomplished the thing that made you a man but also but you, now what you didn't and now what and it's sad and horrible and brutal hmm. and you 
feel like you destroyed some beautiful yeah. piece of nature and yeah I, I like i like i liked that genre a lot when i was growing up um but i never had a regular practice of like just reading books huh. did your family read the bible <laughs> okay so no <laughs> not really uh my my sister is a big reader she okay. reads a lot of books but my brother and my parents so I, I grew up in a house full of books yeah. and like reading was just what you did yeah so i think i mean that's like i'm i'm very happy by that like the, like we mm-hmm. go to the library and we get a bunch of books and like i i was surrounded by books like mm-hmm. uh you know at uh one year it was, it was in a sermon at my church but, or at a fundraising event but they were like you know how do you know like how to give extra something extra to either to charity or to church or whatever and it's like you know go to your pantry and give a nickel for every can of food you have <laughs> or go to your bookshelf and give a quarter for every book and my mom was like we can't do that <laughs> we can't do that we have too many books <laughs> no we have, we have too many books that's funny <laughs> yeah and so and so my family is, is is like we're all still avid readers yeah my dad reads about a book a week my mom reads pretty regularly my sister reads all the time that's incredible i, I yeah we've always been uh very heavy readers so. yeah and that's so that's like uh like my my sister became quite the reader mm-hmm. um because she is the one sibling who actually like went through college and got a degree and, sure you know her, her when she left home she adopted this mm-hmm. and became good at it uh I don't remember my brother being particularly into anything, but um, my father was a pastor, so he read theology. Sure. Which is why I'm interested in theology yeah. as well. Um, and I don't remember my mom ever being particularly into anything. Um, but, like, so, th- like, that's the kind of environment I grew up in yeah. where my dad read the Bible mm-hmm. and he read yeah. commentaries on the Bible. Sure. Those are and, good. And Bible dictionaries. Yeah. And books that are about ideas in the Bible and it's just all Christian <laughs> all Christianity that, all stuff. that stuff. And so I, like I grew up around that and yeah. that's why I started reading C.S. Lewis and, sure. and stuff like that. And I'm still interested in that. Cause I think that's a really interesting like world inside of academia. Like, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Just the study of the Bible as mm-hmm. a book just yields enormous amount of interesting yeah. things. But, uh, there's uh, more kinds of books out there. there are. There's more, yeah. There's m- much more variety than that, and Tolkien. Yeah, that's really interesting. I was just, I'm always, and I'm, this might sound disparaging. I'm always interested when I talk to people who don't like read, like who are not readers. I'm not saying yeah. you're not a reader because you've read Lord of the Rings three times, but um, like, I, I do read. Like I read books yeah. when I when I choose to read a book. Like I, I consume it, I sure. love it, and I, I, it's a, it's something I'm good at and enjoy. It's not yeah. a struggle for me. I just, it's not a habit. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And that's just again because of my background and my, you know, growing up. It does remind me of one of my favorite, uh, you know, John Waters, the director. Yeah, the creepy guy. Yeah, yeah. You got the mustache. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if it was an interview or a video he did something I saw. He was talking about like the lack of intellectualism in the world today. And not enough people are reading books. And mm-hmm. he goes, you know, I have a way of solving this, uh, which is, you know, if you if you're out on a date with somebody and you go to their house and they don't have any books, just don't fuck them. <laughs> 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 I 
And if we all do this, we'll just we'll solve this problem. Forced evolution. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And I've always loved that quote. <laughs> just don't fuck them. That's really good. As as a way uh, to you know make decisions that, does, that does, are better for the society. Does my one small shelf of books make qualify me as fuckable? I get that as qualifying. Okay, yeah. Thank God. You got books. Oh, excuse me. I mean, half of that is Tolkien. Yeah. But it's books. You have books. You, like, read. I've been to people's apartments who don't have books. At all. Yeah. I wouldn't consider it a livable space if it didn't have books of some kind. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. It's like, just, you need, you need books. And I, and I really admire and desire to just own a like what your family must have been just a massive collection so of books bookshelves like we have we have fewer at home now because we've been like getting rid of them mm-hmm. which is why i have the entire animorphs complete series in my closet here in austin because <laughs> otherwise it would have been gotten rid of <laughs> uh i mean well amy and i like our dream home has a library in it right like that's like we would buy a two-bedroom house so one of the rooms could be a library oh. Is it would this library be a library for like a like a comfortable space for sitting down and reading or a space for referencing a space for keeping all your books? Okay, okay, more so. Like, uh, I knew a a professor who in his house had rolling stacks. Wow, in his house, yeah, that was so cool. That's that's a little overboard. It's so cool. (laughs) So he had like you know just it was. In like what might have been a dining room at one point, it was just like five or six of those yeah. rolling shelves, so he could move them back and forth and stick more books into the space. So this, there's a conflict here for me in my brain because a fundamental part of my personality is uh, managing how I own things. Sure, uh, I want to own things that I that are useful mm-hmm. to me. So a book is useful if I'm going to use it in the future, yeah. in the present or the future. So is it worth having a large library of things if I'm not going to expect to read them in the future? Like maybe I've already read mm-hmm. them, but then why keep them unless I'm going to read them again? It's, it's tricky. So, I mean, I, I have the benefit of living with an academic. Right. And so all of them are potentially referenceable in the future. <laughs> right. And and you you saw Amy's office, yeah. Uh, and that whole shelf is all her books, just books galore. Yeah, yeah. it's incredible. Like that whole five by five or four by four calyx space mm-hmm. is all books that are are relevant to her work. And that makes sense because she's she's working on a project right yeah. now. She might not need all of them, but there's a potential for her to be referencing. That, yeah, and so things. the thing is, most of the books I own fall into things that there is a potential that I will want to touch this book again. Okay. But what, like, what about Animorphs? Are you going to read Animorphs again? Or I'm considering you... it, actually. Really? Yeah, I'm, <laughs> okay. I'm considering, like, so, um, you know, I I set these book challenges for myself, 52 books a year, obviously. This year I'm not reading anything by straight white dudes. Mm-hmm. Part of me would like to, in, among, in and amongst everything else I'm doing next year, reread the Animorphs series. Like, I think that would be really a neat experience to come back to them basically... 20 years later because i was about 10 when the first one started and i'll be 30 in january wow yeah um and maybe maybe you know this is how i think about things 
is find the original release date and read them one a month. <laughs> Just like, yeah, exactly 20 years. Yeah. Like part of me would think that'd be really fun and interesting to do and re-experience. That would be. Um, so yeah, but I do have books on my shelf that I don't know that I don't know when I'll go back to them, but I want to be able to go back to them. Be able to go back to them. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. And it's tough. And and we have too many books. Like absolutely we have too many books. I don't know if you went into our bedroom when you visited the apartment. You showed me. It has too many books. So is it too many books because the space can't fill it? Or yes. Or so if there was a larger space, it wouldn't. It would not be, be too many books. Okay. So there is no such thing as too many books on its own. No. It's just too many books for the space. Yeah. Okay. And and there are books I could get rid of. Like I could I could do a pass and say if you said get rid of. I'm gonna say thirty percent, but that's a lie. Ten percent of those books, I could probably do it. Yeah. Um, and occasionally we'll make a half price books run and take a bunch of stuff in. Yeah. But a lot of those, like I, I'm collecting. So all of my comics, never gonna give those up. Uh, that is a collection of mm-hmm. of books that I have, and particularly like comic books, like things like Preacher, Transmetropolitan. Watchmen. I'm just naming comics you've never heard of. It's okay. I've, I've heard of these. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Preacher's a TV series right now on AMC. That's why I've heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Transmetropolitan predicted our current political race in like the 90s. Great. Yeah. It doesn't end well. Um, not, I'm, I'm not expecting it to. <laughs> uh but so and and there are and there are a lot of other ones as well like that you know i've got an amazing comic called bone that's about a thousand pages long in one book and i have that i'm not getting rid of that wow um but there are definitely books that i have that are uh remnants of academia let's say like so so i have books on like how to be a better teacher that i'm probably going to throw away or don't need necessarily or Mm. probably not planning on referencing Mm -hmm. but i'm also in no hurry to get rid of them I got a bunch of Stephen King books that I'm probably not going to read again. But I'm in no hurry to get rid of them. Yeah, and I can see there's things that... Like uh, like the Gary Paulson books? Yeah. I'm probably never going to read those again. Mm -hmm. Like, I've never really felt the desire to read those again. I I probably read Hatchet like five or six times when I was... Hatchet was really good, as I remember it, yeah. Yeah, It was really good. And boy, like that hit me at a time when like... Like I lived in a really rural area. Yeah, and I loved spending time in the woods. And yeah, it. I fantasized about crashing. That's why you like in the the, uh, the, the primitive wilderness. technology guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, like I'm probably never gonna read that again, but I'm happy to keep that in the collection. Yeah, because it was an important book to me. So you know the uh, the the anti clutter lady whose name I don't remember. Is this the if something doesn't bring, bring you, you joy, joy, get rid of it? Yeah, sure. Most of my books bring me joy sitting on the shelf. Like you can look at, at each thing and go, oh, yeah, that yeah. Thing, I love it. More so than like the T-shirts in my closet. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Even though you'll use the T-shirts more. Yeah. Yeah. I'm uh, not necessarily a fan of that. I, there, there's some philosophy. there's some problems there and like i don't necessarily agree with it but yeah. like if we're using that as a guideline like right. i'm glad i have the majority of the books i have that's yeah. equally true for the dvd collection i have which is a dead medium mm-hmm. uh and like the the most i can think that i convince myself to do is to like get rid of the boxes and put them into like a binder 
Just to condense space. To condense space. But still own the thing. But I would still want to own the thing. Like, I bought four DVDs yesterday, four Blu-rays yesterday. Oh, my God. I did. Someone has to stop you people. <laughs> they were on sale on Amazon. Amazon's, <laughs> having, Amazon's having a sale. They're all under 10 bucks. I bought um, uh, The Witch, which is an amazing horror film, if you haven't seen that. It came out last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trick or Treat, which is a really good Halloween anthology film. Okay. Uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the World because I don't own that movie yet and that's a down sh- dirty shame. Uh, rewatched it recently. It's just it's really great good film. still. Yeah. Uh, what was the other one I bought? I don't know what the other thing I bought was. Um, the reason why I don't want to own DVDs mm-hmm. of TV shows or movies, but I'm okay owning books. Like I would love to have a huge library of physical yeah. books. Is because owning a physical copy copy what copy. Oh, Cloud a, Atlas. That was the other one I bought. Cloud Atlas. I haven't seen it. Oh, wait. I haven't either. No, I did see that one. It's weird. It's, it's a Wachowski movie. I yeah. expect it to be weird. Good and weird. Uh, uh, Jupiter Rising? Jupiter Ascending? I loved the heck out of that. That's the one I haven't seen. I loved the heck out of Jupiter Ascending. And it's a terrible hot mess, and I love it. <laughs> That's the consensus I've heard from yeah. everybody. Um, I'm not interested in owning TV shows and movies on discs, mm-hmm. because I don't feel like owning that physical thing in my home makes my experience of watching it mm-hmm. of actually better. of actually yeah. consuming it better owning a physical book makes my experience of consuming that book better because mm-hmm. i still prefer reading a paper book than i do to reading yeah an ebook see i read a ton of stuff on my kindle i still love it so it's it's interesting yeah, yeah. But and like not yeah. not to not to yeah. disparage like oh, Kindles sure. or ebooks like I think that's still valuable and is mm-hmm. probably inevitably the future. Yeah, uh, I just haven't crossed that line. Yeah, you know what I mean. I feel you. Yeah. Well, so it's interesting because uh, I think I own DVDs and Blu-rays for a different reason than I own books. Okay. Um, which is to say, there is a or. There is a larger permanence to physical video media than there is for digital video media. And that's and, and I say that because I a DRM is the worst. True. Defectivebydesign.com. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure that's the website. Is that the EFF thing? Yeah, it's yeah. related. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I hate DRM. Books don't have DRM, so books are great. I love books. Right. Some ebooks have DRM, but it's really easy to fix it. Sure. Um, some ebooks, and I bought the entire. So the, there was a special for Crazy Ex Girlfriend, the first season. Um, the creators made it free for everybody for like two days. It was just free. You just go on to Apple.com or iTunes, and buy it, and it was free. Not bad. No. I was like, oh, that's really cool. This is a show I've been wanting to watch. It's not on streaming. That's great. I'm going to buy it. Mm-hmm. So I bought it, and I started watching it on my Apple TV. And I got three episodes in, and the rest of them were gone. Why? Um, because, and I, I spent a lot of time talking to customer service and going back and forth on this, <laughs> um, because... That version of it, the publishers decided not to offer anymore. And because I had not downloaded them and kept the original, I no longer had access to the thing that I had bought for free. 
Yes. Still, still purchased. Still purchased. And any digital media, that is something that can happen to it unless I keep a copy on a hard drive I download and physically have. Yep. And they sell you on like, oh, it's in the cloud. You know, you can always re-download it. You can get it back unless we decide you can't. Yeah. And and Apple was like, oh, we didn't decide it. It was the publishers. I'm like, okay, but I entered agreement with you. I bought it from you and you took it away. Yeah. You won't let me re-download this thing. Mm-hmm. Because the publisher decided that they didn't want to offer that version of it anymore. That's true for apps. On apps in the app store. It bugs me out of apps too. If you download an app on the app store and the publisher decides to remove it from the app store, you can't re-download it even if you have paid money for it in the past. You do not own it. Right. It will live on in the encrypted iTunes backup. It will. <laughs> and so there are options because you've got it saved and it's downloaded and it's, and it's taking ownership of it. Right. I don't want to have that responsibility of having to go through a bunch of extra steps to own my media. True. And even then, I'm not removing the DRM from them when that happens. That requires an additional set of extra steps. Mm-hmm. A Blu-ray plays on my Blu-ray player. A DVD plays on my DVD player. There is still a DRM handoff with that, though. There is, but it's easier to circumvent if I desire to. And it's more reliable. And it's more reliable, and it can't be removed remotely because my Blu-ray player is not connected to the internet. True. That's because you're a little behind the times. It's because I don't need my Blu-ray player to be connected (laughs) to the internet. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I agree with everything you just said. Yeah. Yeah. uh, the state of digital media is horrible. Yeah. Um, but let that illustrate to you how much I despise <laughs> having physical things that I own. <laughs> like, I, I just hate owning physical things so much that yeah. that tips the scales in Absolutely. favor of And me you're not alone in that respect. That stuff. The, the convenience of digital is hard to disagree with. And so... Yeah. You know, uh, to to argue against myself, mm-hmm. uh, I bought the complete series of Samantha Bee's show, Full Frontal, with Samantha Bee. Yep. Because I want to watch that show. Yep. And it's not streaming available, and it's something that needs to be watched immediately for its impact. Right. You need to watch it the day after it comes out, or else it's less good. <laughs> right. Um, but I was willing to pay for that and own it because it is it is inherently temporal. It is tied to the time in which it takes place. I'm not going to go back and rewatch old episodes of Samantha Bee in three years. Right. It, it's not valuable. It's then. not valuable to me. Yeah. And so I, I'm, it's valuable, and so I'm willing to pay money for it. I don't mind doing that. But I'm paying money for the temporary experience of watching the thing. Yep. For things I want to own, I want to own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And so I own bunch of dvds yeah you do (laughs) so can i can i tell you can i tell you one of the benefits of uh digital media absolutely that has not been mentioned yeah uh when mad max came out yeah and became available i bought it on itunes sure i i rarely purchase movies on itunes Mm -hmm. uh but mad max is mad max fury road yeah is so great uh i have a thing i want to get back to okay I loved Mad Max so much, I purchased it on iTunes. Sure. Uh, and just this past week, yeah, uh, the Mad Max Blood and Chrome. I saw that. I saw that I this came out. Yeah. 
uh, came out, which is the special black and white rendering of mm-hmm. the movie, which, uh, shoot, George Miller? Yeah. Which George That's Miller considers to be the like best version of the movie. Okay. So that came out, and because I bought it on iTunes, I can just go to the purchase copy of it. I have on iTunes on my Apple TV, and Blood and Chrome is available for me to watch now. That's cool. Like, when new things are added, right? Like, you have mm-hmm. that flexibility. It can just yeah. become something I own now because it's part of the package yeah. I already purchased. But those past. new things are added to your package at the behest of the publisher. Right. They could very easily choose to charge you again for that. Right. Star or, Wars special editions. Or they could say, or the if they wanted to, I mean, this would be preposterous, but they could remove the color version and mm-hmm. be like, oh, the black and this white is the, is real the only one. one. And you don't Star own Wars the special edition. color version anymore. Yeah. Right. You don't own the original version anymore. And that makes me mad. I mean, the Star Wars thing is a little more complicated. Yes. With... Yeah, okay. Yeah. That's another episode. <laughs> I referenced that somewhere. Was it at work? I was talking about the special edition. I have weird conversations in our Slack channel at work. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you have thoughts about Mad Max? Well, Were so you going to talk to me about briefly, how it's not as feminist as it pretends to be? I don't be? care. I did not love Mad Max the way everybody else does. Okay. Um, but the thing that I want to happen, and this is just a weird, nerdy thing that I want to happen. Mm-hmm is I want people to stop calling Mad Max Fury Road Mad Max or Mad Max Fury Road. I want it to just be called Fury Road. Is it, But the, the title is Mad Max Fury Road. It is. Okay. But here's the thing about the Mad Max movies that I think is cool. That um, no other, well, not no other series, because uh, the Man With No Name trilogy does this, is each movie is really titled independently of Mad Max. Okay. So the first movie is called Mad Max, which is fine. That's the name of the first movie. The second movie is called Fury Road. Not Fury Road. <laughs> Ruined my whole... Uh, you said whole that monster. with I such so, confidence. So confident. Um, road Warrior? Road Warrior. It was a road thing. The second movie is called Road Warrior, a.k.a. Mad Max 2. Right. Like it's often the Road Warrior colon Mad Max 2. Road Warrior is its title. Right. The third movie is Beyond Thunderdome. And that is arguably the name of the movie. Mm-hmm. It just it's not as strongly as like the other one. And so the idea that the four movies in the series could be called Mad Max, Road Warrior, The Road Warrior, Beyond Thunderdome, and Fury Road, all of which describe the movie but don't have Mad Max 2, Mad Max whatever. Right. Is really cool to me. Like I love that idea, mm. and so I just want people to stop calling it Mad Max Fury Road and just call it Fury Road. Like the Mad Max is in there for the branding. Yeah, that was so you would go watch the movie because it's a recognizable existing yeah. property. Yeah, but the names of the movies are Mad Max, Road Warrior, Beyond Thunderdome, and Fury, and Fury Road. Road, and that's what we should call them. Okay, I'll do that. Cool. I mean, I'll humor you. I'll call it Fury Road. It. I appreciate that. Uh, I'm ex- I'm excited. Like I'll actually go watch the black and white version. I think it's worth available. watching. Like I like I didn't love Mad Max, but the fact that they're releasing that makes me go, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Like Mad Max wasn't bad. I just was not impressed by it. Yeah. It was it was spectacular, mm-hmm. and I need more than spectac- spectacle to make my movies interesting to me. For it's, okay, so very briefly, uh, Mad Max is certainly spectacular. The thing I compare uh, spectacular movies to is like Transformers. Yeah. Like Transformers is spectacular and horrendous. Yes. And Mad Max is spectacular, but everything it 
but it's done well. Everything, everything it, it's um, Roger Ebert's thing of judge a movie on its goals. Yeah, like it, it achieves its goals mm-hmm. perfectly. Yeah, it doesn't try to be much. No, but it tries to be spectacular, and it is spectacular and expertly crafted. And I respect it for those things. Yeah, and it's 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 not anything like deep or special or particularly worth a lot of interest mm-hmm. or mining for meaning, but it yeah. is a wonderful spectacle. Yeah. Um, and black and white seems cool. Yeah. I think, I think it would be neat to watch in that way. Yeah. Um, I wanted to go back to libraries. Okay. Because I wanted to tell you about one of my, uh, when I become super rich fantasies. Ooh. Um, if I become a multimillionaire. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I would love to do is build a library for myself, a private library in my home. Okay. Uh, and I will come up with some list of thousands of books that I will own and I will own all these books uh-huh. and I'll have this wonderful, beautiful library. But what I will do is I will commission, uh, some printer mm-hmm. to print matching like bound and printed and typeset copies of every single book I would like to own. Wow. That is the weirdest if I had a billion dollars wish I've ever heard. Like, if I was a crazy rich person, I would want a library that is full of thousands of books. That of are, identical volumes. That are all identically bound. Like, they'll be different. Like, all the, all the same height. Height, same material, like same, all red Same material, covers. same lettering on the spine, same lettering on the cover, same and same interior typesetting type yeah. and, like, layout and stuff. Yeah. I love the idea of having a perfectly uniform library of thousands of books. That says so much about you. <laughs> I know. And I know and I know that, that there's a level of breaking with creators' wishes because like the way the book is published. Certain matters. books are printed and bound and yeah. typeset and stuff in a way to emphasize that that's that book. Yeah. But that seems that's very appealing to me, and that's one of those like, oh, I got millions of dollars to throw away. Let yeah. me throw a couple million over here and yeah. just commission some private printer to do Man. this for me. That's so. Like, I, I get why that appeals to you. Mm-hmm. I have like the exact like I have a visceral reaction against something <laughs> like that. I'm like I'm almost a little bit repulsed by it. Really? Uh, just a little. Like it's just like. Uh, is it like disrespectful it's boring oh, but boring is boring is nice <laughs> boring is good that's i mean it's just like it's boring that's, that's all i got is it's boring like i'm just like like for me the joy of going into a library is the the world of distinction and uniqueness and each one of those tomes is perfect in and of itself independent of everything else see i walk into a library and like it bugs me that like some like something (laughs) some books are beautiful and like bound and types out well and are just really nice physical volumes and some are ugly and some have like nasty dust jackets on them and some are (laughs) tall and some are short and this is why we'll never be friends (laughs) 
I have a soft spot in my heart for movies set in Boston. <laughs> yeah. I mean, okay, so so Amy and I watched Spotlight and the other movie that was very popular at the same time was based on the true story, uh, The Big Short. Oh, we yeah. We watched both of those in very quick succession. Mm-hmm. Succession. And Amy pointed out something really interesting to me that that I didn't get on my first watch but made a lot of sense was that she was disappointed in both of them. Because they really brought nothing new to the table in terms of telling these stories. Spotlight even more so. Like Spotlight was a very well-made film. It was well-acted. It was, but it was very... You, like you get to the end and you go, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Like there was like, yep, I knew the Catholic Church covered up these terrible things for a long time. That's how we found out about it. So I think Spotlight did two things it reminded us that the Catholic Church did this. Which is valid. Because it's been a while. Yeah. And so is it, arguably still doing it. Uh, and two is it told the story of the people who uncovered it. Mm-hmm. Because that was less of a story than the fact, just the fact that it happened. Yeah. Like it was like, let's talk about the people who brought this to light for us. But it didn't give me a lot of new perspective on any of that. Yeah. And and the big short, which was flashy and interesting, and did a couple of interesting things, uh, dramatically speaking, like uh-huh. direct address. I, I kind of love the big short. <laughs> That's fine. It's fu- but but it didn't add any nuance to the story. Right. It's like, yep, these guys were greedy, and they predicted what was going to happen, and they were right, and the world was terrible. But you don't see that as like being the point. But I knew that. But lots of people didn't. I guess. But so but so I didn't get anything out of it, though, because of that. Okay, yeah. See, like, I think The Big Short succeeded because of the really weird, like, construction of it. You the know, kind of weird construction of it. Right, like all, like all uh, the... That's stuff that documentary theater has been doing for decades. Okay. That's all I'm saying. But it is, <laughs> it is not very available in popular movies. No. Uh, all the direct address stuff, all the just, like, really weird editing. Yeah. Uh but the second thing it did really well that I have not seen is it made the really, really complex situation that was the financial mm-hmm. meltdown understandable in some yeah to some very like in some very basic ways. Like I had a very loose understanding of what happened, but mm-hmm. when I watched the big short, I was like, okay, I kind of see like I have a strong understanding at a very high level, yeah, or very low level i don't know one of those at a very surface level yeah um so i think it succeeded in that i think a lot of people were probably like i guess some bad stuff happened to the economy in 2007 yeah and this and if they watched this movie they were like oh i kind of like understand a little bit about what actually happened a lot of people made really selfish and terrible decisions that hurt everybody so here's the thing that i thought was i thought was a joke that i learned was not a joke when i watched the big short Mm mm-hmm um, so you've seen Arrested Development. Oh, yeah. You've seen Arrested Development season four. Yes, I have. So there's a point where they buy their super fancy house. Yeah. And he goes, we're going to give you a ninja loan. No income, no job, no assets. I'm like, oh, that's kind of a funny thing. Like, that's like that's making fun of, like, how terrible and how the subprime mortgages worked. And then I watched the big short and learned that, like, no, a ninja loan was a real thing. Yeah. That we gave to people. Not we, but somebody gave people 
mortgages who had no job, no income, and no assets. It was kind of impossible to not get a mortgage. Yeah. Yeah. And people wonder why millennials aren't buying houses. I think it's because we're all buying houses in Skyrim. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) Figured it out. I got plenty of houses in Skyrim. I don't need a house in real life. Yeah. Also, we're not buying diamonds, which is making the diamond companies really mad. I remember reading that article and all the backlash towards it, and then I was like, oh, I've bought a diamond. (laughs) (laughs) I have not. I'm a bad millennial. Yeah. Are you going to buy another one? Probably not. Yeah. Probably not. I'm not. They're expensive. They're expensive and and uh, not valuable. <laughs> right. The value, the scarcity is manufactured. They're, they're expensive and not valuable. Yeah. Which is a terrible combination. Have you considered they're very sparkly? <laughs> right? Oh, I got so mad when chocolate diamonds became a thing. Because they're just really bad diamonds. Yeah. I mean, amongst all the parameters that people judge diamonds on. Yes. We, we, we took what were ugly diamonds 20 years ago, recategorized them as chocolate diamonds, and so now they're fancy again. Yep. It's like, no, you're just selling me the diamonds you couldn't sell me 20 years ago. Yeah. I remember when I was shopping for a diamond. Yeah. Being very attracted to the idea of arbitrary measures of quality (laughs) and the fake scarcity created Uh by that oh yeah like the idea that we can just decide here's a bunch of rocks old rocks old rocks that that are like the the only actual value they have is that humans think they're sparkly and pretty Mm -hmm. because we've been told to but like, but that I'd say that's even more than a we've been told to. That's like a humans are innately attracted to sparkly, pretty things. Yeah, but I can get you a cubic zirconia. <laughs> sure, <laughs> yes. Like sparkly and pretty is psychologically pleasing. Yeah. So humans go, ooh, diamonds are sparkly and pretty. Sure. So are cubic zirconia. So what? Yeah. But then they're chemically identical. But then you say there's these four measurements. Yeah. That determine how good how expensive your diamond it is. is. And we just made them up. Yeah. Because we need things to measure them by. Yeah. And there's a, and there's a scarcity there. Like, there's true scarcity a, well, in no, these. No, it's not true scarcity. Because they have as many of the fancy ones as they want. Maybe. But that, that go, was interesting Go look to me. up the article, Have You Ever Tried to Sell a Diamond? Okay, I will. It's a really long read. Uh, and it's old. It's surprisingly old. Um, but it was really good. Okay, I'll put it in the notes. Yeah. Uh, but I was a, I was suckered a little bit. Yeah. By this, you had to go up a couple steps. Well, I just like I just, I like the I, I like the idea of nice things. Sure. That are that meet quality metrics on whatever the parameters measured are, but then the fact that. For diamonds, it's totally arbitrary. Mm-hmm. Uh, was the part I missed a little bit. Yeah, it's like I bought a nice diamond. Yeah, and it's a pretty rock. It's yeah. sparkly and shiny. Can't sell it. Yeah, so what? It's not worth anything once you buy it. It's not mine anymore. Well, that's true. <laughs> There's that. 
<laughs> yeah. Oh well. I'm not not buying the diamonds. There's cooler rocks. I don't know if I'd buy a fancy rock. Like I would rather have like like if it came from space, I would like a ring made with a space rock. Like a wait, shoot. I always I always forget the vocabulary. Meteor, meteorite, meteoroid. Which one's which? Don't think meteoroid's a thing. Yeah, it is. <laughs> is it? What one of them is a thing in space. Another one is a thing that enters the atmosphere but burns up before it hits the ground. And the other one is a thing that enters the atmosphere and hits the ground. If it hits the ground, it's a meteorite. Okay. I know this because of a They Might Be Giant song. Oh, God. What am <laughs> I... <laughs> it's called A Shooting Star Is Not a Star. I think is what it's called. But it goes, A shooting star is not a star is not a star at all. A shooting star is a meteor that's heading for a fall. Uh, so a meteor is one that burns up. Well, meteor is in space. Which one burned me, me? Is meteoroid not a thing? I don't think meteoroids is. Thing. I don't know. It feels like a word I've heard before. Sure, a meteorite's the one that hits the ground. Okay, so you would. I think meteorites would be cool. And there's yeah. genuine scarcity there. There's not a lot of meteorites. Not a lot of space rocks. Well, there's probably a lot of space rocks, but not a lot of them that people find. Yeah, yeah. But I would, I would think that'd be cool. That would be cool. Or a, you know, a metal that had some sort of meaning to me. I don't know what that would be. Like, I don't have a medal that has a meaning to me. <laughs> you don't have any meaningful medals? A lot of people have gotten, like, palladium rings. Like, that's a thing, because it's a pretty scarce and cool-looking medal. Okay. Um, as opposed to gold or silver. Sure. I don't know what's special about palladium. I don't remember. It's fancy. I know someone who has a palladium wedding ring. Oh. People do the, uh, what's the, what's the one? Tungsten? Lots of lots of dudes, really lots of dudes like tungsten rings because huh. they're tough <laughs> and they're like this like matte finish dark <laughs> color. <laughs> <laughs> they're very bro rings. Yeah. Uh, do you know the scary part about tungsten rings? They're, no. Uh, you can't break them. You can't cut them. So if say you break your finger. Yeah. And it swells. And it swells, and you can't get the ring off, but you need the ring to come off. You're losing the finger. Sorry, cut the finger off, because there's nothing that can cut a tungsten ring off. Because it's as hard as diamond. Oh, so that's it, off the list. So, it, so a diamond blade cannot cut through a tungsten ring. Could you, I mean, could you melt it? I realize at the point you're melting tungsten, <laughs> your finger's also gone. Yes, you can also <laughs> melt your finger off. Might as well cut it. Yeah, I probably won't be getting a tungsten ring then. Yeah, I was I was fine with just a normal gold. Yeah. Gold's pretty straightforward. <laughs> I know I'm a very straightforward kind of guy. Yeah, that's fair. I like a library full of 100% uniform books. <laughs> it's weirder the more you say it. <laughs> would it would that I feel like that would either be a really like wonderful magical experience like walk into my beautiful library filled with like 20 foot tall bookshelves with the the railing ladder uh -huh. and all the books are uniform and it's beautiful and wonderful. You know what I mean? Or it's either like horror movie style where you turn a dark <laughs> corner and you all the books come into identical. this library. All the books are the same. And <laughs> what the fuck is going on? What's wrong with this Why person? Why are all the books the same? And then I come out of a dark corner standing <laughs> all creepily. Would you like a book? <laughs> Which one? They're all the same. <laughs>
I, I, I truly do want that, though. I know. I know you do. <laughs> Man, I just, it's, it's weird in my brain. Sorry. Because a book is such a physical object. Mm-hmm. Like, the way it feels, the way it reads, the speed at which I flip pages is a part of the experience. Mm-hmm. And you're removing all of that. Or you're, you're, you're removing the uniqueness of any of that. Because all your books will feel the same. Yeah. The, like, that is a negative I see with this desire is the removal of the, a creator's intent. In yeah. some and way. not every book has an, an intent behind it. I don't even care about the intent, but they have a uniqueness about them. But if the uniqueness wasn't the intention of anybody, then who cares? It's part of the experience. No, but that's not part of the experience that the creator wanted you to have. Yeah. Oh, it feels weird. <laughs> See, the, the, the opposite perspective is it's a distillation of the content. It becomes about the words. You Then just... digitize them all and put them on a Kindle. Okay. But do you have a problem with that? No, that's the same thing. In most cases, no. I have less of a problem than that than with you retyping all of these books like some sort of crazy person <laughs> with too much money. <laughs> that's the same thing, except uh, on a on a Kindle, it doesn't take up a room. Yeah. So the, the the thing about the Kindle is the Kindle serves a certain purpose, which is the the containment of the information. Right. The book serves the containment of the information and a bunch of other things. The experience. But you still get an experience of a book with paper and a binding and you, but you don't pages get the unique, you But you don't get a unique experience. So I don't see a benefit of having that same experience for every book. But the unique experience of a book is the words you're reading. I, don't <laughs> I see, can't believe we're arguing about this. <laughs> I don't see the value of the uniqueness of its cover and its binding and its typesetting. Because if I'm going to have a physical book, I want it for more than the information in it. I want it for the space it takes on the shelf. I want it for the way it looks in a collection of a set of volumes that are part of the series. I want the physical book because it is physical. See, this, so this desire of mine stemmed from I had, when I first read Lord of the Rings, it was three different editions. (laughs) It was, it was like, there were like literally i think yard sale purchases that's awesome you know what i mean so like the fellowship was one yeah. printing and there, there were different sizes and different covers and different art mm-hmm. and all this stuff and i was like oh man i would really like to have a lord of the rings edition that was one edition sure right and i have since gotten that good um but that that, that was a very very small version yeah. now it's like man wouldn't it be great if all my books were one printing <laughs> if all my books were one edition right like they're all just books. Might as well. But then why have them as books? Because it makes a really, really attractive room. Or scary room, as we've determined. <laughs> I think the attractiveness or scariness just depends upon the amount of natural light allowed in. <laughs> Keep the curtains open. I don't think libraries should have natural light. Sunlight's bad for the binding. What? There's nothing more pleasurable than reading a book in the sunlight. Your reading room is different than your library. No, it's not. 
Natural light discolors covers. Makes the pages brittle. Changes temperature. Okay, this is presenting me with a conflict I'm not ready to handle. <laughs> You've seen books left out in the sun for too long. Yes, I have. But I want to sit in a great, big, comfortable <laughs> chair with a footrest and a, yeah, and a that's little... Yeah, that's in your reading room. And a little side table with uh-huh. a cup of hot cocoa. Sure. Where I go to read my books and be surrounded by the beautiful environment of bookshelves. Okay. So get a lamp. But then the room's creepy. <laughs> Only because your books are identical. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just not willing to budge. I, I wouldn't expect anything else. Oh, my God. <laughs> we got to stop this. Okay. <laughs> we learn so much about each other, don't we? Yeah. Yeah.